Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Well, good morning. And if God has given you the privilege of being a father, I want to say happy Father's Day to you. Very pretty cool. Very good. Just another quick reminder, immediately after this service, uh, if you are a member, we need you back in this section here. We're going to have a, a vote. Go ahead and put that slide up there if you could. Nick, I think it's coming. Well, it'll get up there eventually. We are having a, a vote to acquire the north side of the North Mall in Spencer for our new Spencer campus facility and property. The good news of this is we have the cash for this. It's already been given. It's in our, and we, so we just need your vote to approve that. It's a $300,000 purchase, and we're excited to be able to have a, a new home for our Spencer campus. By the way, this is not going to be a time of discussion after the service. The times of discussion were last Sunday between services when you had a chance to talk to Pastor Shane about this facility. On Monday, we did have this facility open from 5 to 7 for you to see it. Many of you talked to Pastor Shane and others in leadership then, any of the questions you had. So this is just a time for a vote, and it'll be a quick vote. The reason it's going to be a quick vote is because VBS is immediately going to have a program after that. So they're going to be doing a little song together and showing a little video. So we don't want to cut short their time. So we're going to have a quick vote and then get right into our time of VBS. So I'd like to ask you, by the way, to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. We're going to be studying verse 9 to verse 22 this morning. Just to get you up to speed, this is our 19th message in 2 Timothy, and this is also our last message in this amazing book. You may wonder, what is going to happen next week when we're finally done with 2 Timothy? I'll give you a quick layout for the summer. Uh, the, a number of the other pastors will be teaching a short series called Practical Prayer. It's a four-week series based primarily on the Lord's Prayer, and we're just going to go over the basics of how do we pray and why do we pray. Real simple series. It's not going to be all consecutively one right after the other. Those messages will be interspersed throughout the summer. Also during the summer, Pastor Jordan and I are going to teach two small series. Uh, they're both series are only two weeks long. We'll teach on our campus, our, our native campus, and then we'll switch to the opposite campus the following week. The one series is called God and Government, Why Politics Can't Save You. And that's a pretty important one right now because politics has almost become like a form of religion for many people. We need to talk about that in the church and what is our proper way to look at politics in the church. The other series is called The Dark Side of the Virtual Church, why God does not want you to stay home. What has happened is many Christians have decided that their new church, their new way of attending church, is completely virtually, completely online, and they're not gathering with the brothers and sisters in Christ. And that is not God's plan. So we need to talk about that. So Pastor Jordan and I will have a two-week series on that this summer. That'll bring us to fall. And in the fall, we're going to start the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. We haven't done an extended study in an Old Testament book, and I'm very much looking forward to it. But that gives you an idea of what will happen when we get to next week. In fact, Pastor Andy will be preaching next week on the first of that series on practical prayer. So that's what we have to look forward to. Hopefully by now you've found 2 Timothy chapter 4 in your copy of God's Word. I'd like to ask you to stand out of reverence for the Word of God as I read verses 9 through 22, and please follow along in your eyes with your copy of God's Word. Paul writes, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. 
Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Anisiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. That ends the reading of God's word and actually the reading of 2 Timothy. You may be seated. Now these verses appear sort of to be a bunch of odds and ends sort of tacked on at the end of the letter. And in all honesty, many pastors skip them. But that's not my style. You guys know that. I figure that all of God's Word is profitable since Paul said that. And this is part of God's Word. So it is profitable for us to read these verses. Profitable for us to study these verses. And yes, God does have a relevant and applicable message for us in these verses. Now, you may say, well, what kind of relevant and applicable message would come out of this? Let me explain it to you. As Paul is closing this letter, and Paul knows that he will soon die, notice that it's people that are on his mind. And what, who are these people? These are the people that made up Paul's life. These are Paul's gospel team. These are people that are essential to Paul. These are the people that enabled Paul to share the gospel all around the world. And folks, the same is true for us, isn't it? For the gospel to go forward through Crosswinds Church, we also need a team of people. We also need a team of people who are each willing to play their respective roles and do their respective parts. The church, as Paul says in the Corinthian letters, is like a body. You know, a body has hands, feet, toes, eyes, and all those different pieces have to work together for that body to function. Not all is given the same role. They're given different roles, but complementary roles. Now, my question, my question is this for you. This morning, I'm going to ask you, which of these people are you like in this church? The question I want you to ask yourself is, what kind of role has God given me to play? Because everyone has a role to play. The other question I want you to ask yourself is this. You need to realize that God doesn't just care about our, the faithfulness of our relationship with Him. He also cares about the faithfulness of our relationships with one another. God does not just care about our, the faithfulness of our relationship with Him. He cares about the faithfulness of our relationships with one another. And as we go through these and study this, you'll see that's a very important message and theme. Now, in Preaching 101, they, at seminary, they say you should have three points in a poem. Now, I'm breaking all the rules this morning. Number one, I don't have a poem. Number two, I have 12 points instead of three because there's a lot of people on this list. So we're going to move through these guys rather quickly. So starting on the top of your outline, we'll look at the first one. It's Timothy. I mean, his title is The Faithful Son. 
Paul simply says this in verse 9. Do your best to come to me soon. Think about Timothy. When Paul began first and then when he began second Timothy, he calls Timothy my true son, my faithful son. As far as we know, Tim, Paul did not have a biological son. He didn't have a father's day. But here, this is his true son, his spiritual son. In fact, look what Paul says about Timothy as he writes to the Corinthians about how deeply he loves Timothy. He says this, This is why I sent you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Paul sees Timothy as a loved child and as a faithful child. And he has taken his role as studying Paul's life and sort of replicating Paul's life, being a carbon copy of Paul for future years. As you know, Timothy traveled with Paul. Timothy knew Paul's heart. Timothy knew Paul's theology. So put yourself in Paul's shoes. We know that he wrote this letter from the Mamertine dungeon in Rome. It's a cold, dark, two-story, underground, pitch black, wet prison all alone. And what is he longing for? What is the one thing that's going to bring joy to his heart? To see his precious spiritual son, Timothy. Paul knows, on his, knows that he's on his way out, but the joy in his life is seeing Timothy, his spiritual son, on his way up, succeeding. Look what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. Now, some of you have been blessed with children like this that as you are in your sunset years, nothing brings you more joy than watching your son or watching your daughter follow hard after Jesus and the things that they are able to do for Jesus. Doesn't that bring you great joy when you see that in your children? That is exactly what is going on in Paul's heart right now as he looks at Timothy. Great joy seeing him succeed. Now, folks, all of us want to have Timothys in our life. All of us want to see people who are younger than us able to learn about the gospel from us and to be able to take the gospel into the next generation. We all want to see people that are following in our footstep and footsteps and living for Christ. And to be honest, having a Timothy in your life is the dream of every pastor's heart, it's the dream of every elder's heart. It's the dream of every church leader to see someone in the younger generation learning the gospel from you, taking the gospel up, and leading well into the next generation. So I ask you, are you being a Timothy? Are you able to come under a spiritual mentor and learn from them and follow hard after them? and bring them joy? Who are those spiritual people that you look up to in your life? And are you following well? Let us be a blessing, I always say, to the older generation to bring joy to their heart as, they, as we learn to follow Jesus from them. The next person in this list, we go from Timothy, who is really the most faithful guy of all, to one of the worst guys, Demas. He is the unfaithful deserter. Paul says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So we don't know much about Demas. We do know a little bit from Scripture. Colossians 4.14 introduces us to him. At that point, we know he's a loved traveling companion with Paul. He is with Luke at that time as well as Paul. And Paul is pouring his life into this fellow named Demas. In fact, Demas is actually with Paul during his first imprisonment, and Demas also travels with Paul for a number of years. So Paul is investing in Demas, hoping that Demas will become another Timothy, 
Paul loved Demas, but Demas didn't turn into a Timothy. Demas turned into a deserter. He walked away from Paul. He walked away from his spiritual mentor. As I studied it this week, it came to mind, like, what a reminder, you know, that in the church, there'll be some people that you pour your life into, that you do everything to build them up in Jesus, and they just, after a while, just turn and walk away, and you're left speechless. You know, that kind of thing doesn't just happen to us. That happened to Paul with Demas, who deserted him. So, don't be a Demas, I guess, is the one thing we can take away from this. Now, the question is, why did Demas even leave Paul? And the text answers it. Because it says he was in love with this world. Demas wanted, he was more interested in comfort in this life than in leaving a good legacy for Jesus in this life. And the Greek word for deserted here, by the way, is extremely interesting. It's the word for deserted with two modifiers on the front of it, like super ultra deserted me. At the absolute worst time, when I needed him most, at my darkest hour, after all I've done for him, after all those years of living for him and pouring into him, he turned and walked away from me. That's what he says. That's the kind of desertion that happened. Now, as I said, reading this is actually pretty encouraging for me. Not because I like to see that happen, but the fact that it happened to Paul. People will walk away from him. This is not anybody. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul. This guy writes a large portion of the New Testament, and yet the guy that he poured his life into walks away from him. Hasn't this happened for us as well, a little bit at Crosswinds? You have this thing called COVID, and people left the church, and then as COVID gets to be over, some people don't even bother to return to the church. They just sort of walked away from their church family. They walked away from others, and I don't know all the reasons, and I'm not trying to explain or justify. That's not my point. Just the fact that that feeling of desertion is something that happens to us. But here's the problem with being a deserter. For the last 2,000 years of church history, Demas' name has never been said in a positive light, has it? Didn't leave a good legacy. Started well, didn't finish well. Folks, don't be a Demas. Are there times when church life can be hard? Are there times in the church where you feel like you're doing a lot more giving than you are receiving? Are there times when relationships in the church get difficult? Don't walk away. Don't. It'll ruin your legacy. Rather be a Timothy, who's a faithful son, than a Demas, who was a deserter. Both of them Paul poured his life into. One stayed faithful, the other walked away. Which one will you be? We continue. The next guy in the list is a guy named Crescens. And I call him the one who is quiet, but capable. All he says here is Crescens has gone to Galatia. And you say, well, what do we know about this? I call him a quiet hero. This is about all we have about Crescens, that he's gone to Galatia. Well, let's see if we can piece some things together. We know that Paul, on all three of his missionary journeys, traveled to Galatia. Paul planted churches in Galatia. Galatia was known for some of the more established churches, stronger churches. But if you've read the book of Galatians, you know there was a problem in Galatia. Many of these churches had started to leave the gospel. Paul was very concerned. In fact, some of Paul's strongest language is in that first chapter of the book of Galatians. He just hammers him. You cannot leave the gospel. But what do we find here? 
is that Paul takes a guy named Crescens and sends him to Galatia to work with these churches, most likely to get these longer-term, more established churches back on track. So what we can determine from this is Crescens must be a very spiritually mature man. He must be a very spiritually strong man. But he's also a behind-the-scenes kind of guy. Because he knows he doesn't get his name in lights really any place else in Scripture. Now I wonder, is that you? Is that who God has called you to be in his church? Maybe a strong person? a spiritually mature person, but a quiet person who's able to work behind the scenes, a person who can be called to go into a crisis and help set things straight because you have great spiritual maturity, but you don't need to be upfront about it? Is that the role that maybe God has given you to play? That's the role that Crescens played in Paul's gospel team. Let's look at the next one. Titus. He's what I call the organizer and the equipper. And what we have here with Titus is simply this. Titus I've sent to Dalmatia. Titus, incidentally, appears 13 times in the New Testament, and he even has a letter written to him. That letter of Titus was written between the time when Paul wrote 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And uh, what we know about Titus is he liked challenging situations. Titus was very good at organizing things organizing churches and putting things together. What we find is that when Paul went into a region, he often evangelized, he preached the gospel, but then you had all these Christians that were disorganized, not knowing what to do. That is when Titus came in. He would organize the churches, he would set up the leaders of the churches, and help them to flourish and move forward. We find that in the letter of Titus. Where Paul says this, this is why I left you in Crete, that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So you can almost think of Titus a little bit like an executive pastor. He doesn't want to be up front and do a bunch of preaching. He doesn't want to be like some kind of upfront person, but he's quite happy to come in and organize people and organize churches. He did that, we see, in Crete, and apparently at this point he's moved on to Dalmatia and done that. Interestingly, if you go to Romans chapter 15, what you find is Paul preached the gospel in Dalmatia. There were churches that were begun in Dalmatia. Now you needed someone with Titus's organizational and leadership gifts to go in and organize those churches and give them healthy and godly leadership. Speaking firsthand, Pastors need those kind of people in their life. You know, leading and organizing and structuring and all that kind of stuff is important stuff for a healthy church to function. But doing all the leading, organizing, and structuring, and then doing all the research and preaching and teaching and visitation and relationships, it's a big task. That's one of the reasons that you often have executive pastors in churches, people who have those organizational and leadership gifts. My question is, is that you? Is that the role that maybe God has given you to play in Crosswinds? You're really good at the business and organizational side. You don't want to be up front preaching, but you could come behind and provide organization and help and structure. Paul needed that kind of person on his team. We need those kind of people here on the Crosswinds team. Remember, all the different parts of the body have to work together to make the gospel go forward. Next guy in our list is Luke. And I call him the faithful and gifted friend. And it's just simply these words where Paul says, Luke alone is with me. As I've mentioned to you before that we know Paul, from the beginning of our study, is now in the Mamertine dungeon in Rome. Remember what this was like. We showed pictures at the very beginning of this, and we started studying 2 Timothy. It's two stories underground. It's wet. It's cold. There's only one door. 
that is where the city sewer system flows by, and sewage would regularly leak into that pit. There's no bathroom facilities. The only way to access it was a manhole-sized hole in the roof above where people were let down with ropes. That is where Paul is at this point. Nobody in their right mind would want to be in this cesspool. But Luke alone is with him. Luke has stayed with him. Not necessarily in the pit, but he's probably right above the pit, coming down to visit Paul regularly to encourage Paul regularly. Because Paul is in darkness 24 hours a day in that hole. Let me tell you a little bit about Luke. Luke is only spoken of two other times in the, the Bible. Colossians 4.14, we find out there that Luke is Paul's physician, and he was um, also a traveling companion of Paul. We also see Luke in Philemon verse 24, as well as this passage. So in total, we see Luke only mentioned three times in the Bible. But Paul's faithful friend does some amazing work. I don't know if you've realized this, but Luke writes more of your New Testament than anybody else. The Gospel of Luke is written by Luke. The book of Acts, which is the spread of the gospel in the early church, is also written by Luke. That's 52 chapters, which is actually more than Paul ever wrote. And as a physician and a great man of a brilliant mind, we find that Luke is a meticulous researcher, detailed historian, and completely accurate writer. And by the way, I should also mention that most likely Luke is the one who actually wrote the letter of 2 Timothy as Paul called out from the pit. And Luke on the top wrote down the words of this book that we are studying. Here's what I love about Luke. He is brilliant. He can do anything. But he is amazingly humble. And he is a faithful friend to Paul. We don't find Luke out there trying to do public preaching, steal the limelight, none of that. Just, I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to get behind you, and I'm going to help you. You speak, Paul. I'll even write the words down for you. I'll write the letters. I don't want my name out there. I just want to come along and be a helper and a faithful friend. Is that you? Has God called you to be a Luke in Crosswinds Church? You're very gifted, very talented, could do a lot of things, but you don't feel the need to be up front and be in the limelight all the time, but you're really happy to come behind those in leadership, be friends for them, be supports for them, and help them. Help them and use your gifts to get the job done of reaching people with the gospel. Let's look at the next person in this list. Mark. I call him the one who failed, but was restored. This is what we read about him in verse 11. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. And if you remember from our study of the gospel of Mark, Mark was not always useful to Paul for ministry. In fact, it didn't start out overly well. We know that Mark is also called John Mark. We find that in the church in Jerusalem, um, actually met in his mother's home. And young John Mark grew up with people like Paul and Peter around the house. The early church recognized young Mark as a really potential future leader. And when Paul and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey, they took young Mark with them. And then when things got difficult, and they faced a lot of opposition and difficulty, what we find in Acts chapter 13 is Mark literally ran home to mom. He abandoned Paul and Barnabas and went home to his mom's house. And Paul wasn't real happy about that. As we already know with Demas, he doesn't like deserters. 
Seven years later, second missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas are planning to go, and Barnabas wants to take Mark with him. And Paul says, absolutely not. I don't want a guy who's a deserter. I don't want that kind of fella. In fact, it becomes such a big split that you know that Paul and Barnabas actually split and part ways. Barnabas takes Mark. Paul takes another young man he's investing in named Silas. And so the question you have is what will become of this rift between Paul and Mark where Paul is really struggling to trust Mark again after Mark let him down in such a big way. Fast forward about 12 years. At that point, Paul is in his first Roman imprisonment. Second Timothy takes place during his second Roman imprisonment. What's interesting is when we look at the letter of Colossians, which Paul wrote during his first Roman imprisonment, 12 years later, what do we find? It says this, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Mark is with Paul during his first Roman imprisonment and helping him. So somehow, Mark and Paul had their relationship restored. And as we know, as we just read, Mark has become very useful to Paul. And how useful does Mark become? Mark writes the very first gospel, the gospel of Mark. Now, is that you? Are you someone that has failed God miserably? Failed others in the church miserably? I want you to know, folks, in the church, failure is not final. God loves to take restore people and use people in ways beyond what they would have ever imagined. I'm sure when Mark failed Paul miserably and ran home to mom, he never believed or even thought that one day he would be the one to write the first gospel in the New Testament. Folks, God can restore you God can use you in ways beyond what you would ever imagine in his church, no matter what you have done before. We have a God of second chances. Amen? Amen. So that's what we learn from Mark. Let's go to number seven. Tychicus, and I call him the mailman who traveled for the gospel. Tychicus, he says, I have sent to Ephesus. When I grew up, I always heard about the mailman's motto. You know what that one is? Come rain, sleet, snow, or shine, the mail must go through. And Tychicus is essentially a mailman in that day. You say, why is he a mailman? There is no U.S. Postal Service. You do not get to lick a stamp, put it on a letter, drop it in a mailbox, and somebody will take it where it needs to go. If you wrote a letter and you wanted to get it to a person, you gave it to someone you trusted. That person hand-carried that letter to bring it where it had to go, and they actually had the job of reading that letter to the people that you wanted to speak to. Tychicus is that guy on Paul's team. He is the guy who carried the New Testament letters. He carried the letter of Ephesians to the city of Ephesus, He carried the letter of Colossians to the city of Colossae. He carried the letter of Philemon to Philemon. And most likely, he's also the guy who carried 2 Timothy to, guess who? Timothy. He's the mailman. Now, what I want you to notice about this is there's really nothing special about this guy. He's not a big upfront preacher, he's not a big upfront teacher. He's not a great, amazing writer like Luke. He's just a faithful guy who makes sure what needed to get done actually happens. Do you hear that? Just a faithful guy who will make sure what needs to get done actually happens. Is that you? Is that the role that God has given you to play at Crosswinds Church? You know, there's a lot of people that are like Tychicus here. People in the sound booth, they're not up front. 
but without them, it wouldn't work. People in the video booth, they're not up front. They're all behind the scenes. But without them, this Sunday morning would be a real mess. People that are helping at the coffee bar, people that greet you at the door. Nothing special, but a job that has to get done, has to get done, and I'm going to make sure it takes place. Maybe that's the role God's given you to play. Because without people doing those roles, the gospel will not go forward. Next one, Carpus. I call him the man who was hospitable for the gospel. He says, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and then above all, the parchments. Carpus is a guy who lives in Troas, and apparently what we can discern is when Paul went to Troas, he stayed with Carpus in that city. So what Carpus did for the gospel was simply be hospitable. He opened up his home. And he opened up his life. So while Tychicus traveled to different places around the world to get the gospel out with Paul's letters, Carpus stayed at home. Simply opened up his home. Warm, welcoming hospitality. That's an important role for people to play in the gospel. Now, Paul asks for his jacket, and he asks for his parchments and his books. Just a few quick comments on that. Why would he ask for his jacket? Well, apparently, here's what I'm guessing, and I think other scholars agree the same thing. When Paul was arrested, he was most likely arrested in Troas. He didn't have a chance to pack his things, didn't have a chance to ship his things. He was arrested and taken away. He is now, we know, in Rome in the Mamertine prison, and he's already said in this letter that winter is coming. What does he need? Thank you. A jacket, a coat. And so make sure, Timothy, when you come, stop in Troas, pick up my jacket. And by the way, pick up my books and my parchments. Paul knows that he will soon be executed. But what does he want to have with him? His copies of God's Word. So he can continue reading God's word, keeping his finger in the text, knowing that God's word is what will strengthen him to enable him to successfully face the final hour of his life. What a good encouragement for us. So I would simply say, are you a carpus? Is that the role that God has given you to play here at Crossman's Church? To be someone who opens their heart and who opens their home to other people? Come on and, you know, COVID is over. Come and stay with me. Or, hey, we, maybe you can't come over, but come out to lunch with me. That warm, welcoming hospitality. Folks, the gospel will make more progress over a table in a restaurant or over a table in a home oftentimes than it makes from the pulpit. It's true. It's a super important role for you to play. Is that the role that God has given you? May no one come into Crosswinds Church and leave Crosswinds Church and not feel warmly welcomed. I want Crosswinds Church to be a place filled with open hearts and open homes. Next one in our list. Alexander, the enemy of Paul and the gospel. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. Up to this point, we've talked about people who helped Paul spread the gospel. Here we go to the opposite side. Here's a guy who's an enemy of the gospel. And I found that slightly encouraging, because if Paul had enemies who tried to tear him down, well, it's good to know that when I have enemies, I'm just like Paul, because <laughs> You know, there's people that don't like me, people who would tear me down, but Paul experienced the exact same thing, and it's good to know. All we know about this guy is that he was a coppersmith. Doesn't tell us much. My guess is that he's very similar to a man named Demetrius. You remember Demetrius, who was in Ephesus, who was a silversmith, a maker of those small idols to Artemis? 
that when so many people in, in Ephesus became Christians and they stopped buying, buying those idol souvenirs, Demetrius set up a riot against the church because he was losing business in his little idol shop. My guess is the same thing is true with Alexander. He's a coppersmith, most likely making small copper idols, losing business, so he's really angry at the church because people are becoming Christians. Where is he located at? I don't know. He may actually be in Troas. Timothy could run across him when he passes through. He may actually be in, in Rome. And Timothy may meet him on the streets when he is there. I don't know. But either way, what we find is that Timothy is to avoid him and stay away from him. And this is where it gets to some really great application. Do you notice Paul and Timothy are not tasked with the job of taking revenge on their enemies. Their job is to avoid their enemies. In fact, what does Paul say? He says that Jesus ultimately will be the one to judge them, and Jesus will be the one who will bring justice against them. Folks, it's not our job to get revenge against the people who have hurt us. Revenge is, and getting justice is in God's territory. Our job is to simply avoid those people and try not to have um, confrontation with those people. As Christians, we're not to be what I call Rambos. <laughs> he drew first blood, but I'm going to drew last blood. <laughs> uh, interesting things. Deuteronomy 32, 35 through 36. I don't have the time to read it this morning, but it talks about the fact that God's people are not to take revenge. Revenge or justice is God's job. And interestingly, Deuteronomy 32, those verses are quoted twice in the New Testament. And I'll just read those verses. In Hebrews, for we know him who says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It's God's job for justice. And then if you've been reading along or your take up and read plan, you'll remember this from Romans chapter 12, which we read this past week. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, and here's the quote again, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. All of us have enemies. Paul had enemies. As Christians, we are not to get even with our enemies, but we can be smart and wise and avoid our enemies and try and get away from any particular confrontation with them. It's God's job to take revenge. The next one on our list, number 10, is the people that are missing when you need them. You ever have those? People that are missing when you need them? Paul says, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. The background is the Roman legal system. We know Paul was most likely uh, grabbed in Troas, brought to Rome, and there would be two trials that would go take place there. The first trial took place immediately when he arrived. It was sort of an assessment of the situation, an assessment of the criminal's standards, what's going on. That's what we find. And nobody, nobody stood by him. Nobody was there for him. Imagine that. No counsel, no help being in court by yourself. Now, why did so many people avoid him at that point? History would help us understand. We know that the great fire in Rome has already taken place. Nero has blamed the great fire of Rome on Christians. We know that Christians did not set it. Nero is probably the one who set it. But at this point, Nero has unleashed a lot of persecution against Christians. He's taken Christians, he's sewn them into animal skins and let wild dogs tear them to shreds in the arena. Other Christians, he's put poles through them, covered them in pitch, and turned them into human torches. So it's obvious why a lot of people want to avoid Paul. Paul is one of the most outspoken Christians in the world at this time. He's come into Rome 
and everyone knows that Nero is in the business of killing Christians at this time, so people don't want to associate with Paul because they could be killed just like Paul will most likely be killed. That's the background. But what I think is interesting, think of Paul's emotional world. At this point, it would be very easy for Paul to get bitter, wouldn't it? Nobody showed up. All these people I've led to Jesus, all these people I've been stoned for, I've gone through all kinds of trial and trauma for, not one person stood by me. What an opportunity to be bitter, isn't it? Anybody be bitter in that situation? Angry? But what I love is Paul doesn't go there, does he? Paul forgives them. Paul understands them. By the way, there's two pieces to this because if Paul doesn't forgive them, he's going to become a very bitter person, isn't he? A very angry person. A very nasty person. The effectiveness of his life and the fruitfulness of his ministry at the end is dependent on him forgiving these people who don't show up for him. Not being bitter against these people who don't show up for him. And the same is true for us, by the way. When people fail us, when they don't show up for us, if we allow ourselves to become bitter, we will ruin our usefulness for the gospel because bitterness just reeks like a bad case of body odor around other people. But here's the good news. While nobody showed up for Paul, somebody did show up for Paul, and that's the Lord. He says this, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed to all, so that all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So everyone has deserted Paul. Now this is the picture you need to have. This is so amazing. I like when I studied this. This is the kind of stuff when you're studying you just can't wait to preach on Sunday. The way the court system worked in Rome at this time, it's the house that he would have been in would have been like a cross. It has two long um, arms on it, halls, plus two cross arms on it. In the center where those pieces cross is where the trial was taking place. There would Paul be, there would his accusers be, there where the judge would sit. And of course, there's plenty of people on the accuser's side. Paul is all alone by himself for his defense. Now, who were in those wings? In Rome, you were allowed to go and watch the court proceedings. People would come to see what would happen in these trials. Sort of like Judge Judy in the ancient world. It's what it is. Remember who Paul is. He is world famous as a Christian. Remember that Nero and Roman government is putting down the screws on the Christian. This is like mainstream media TV. There would be thousands of people in these, um, I don't you call them vestibules or whatever, these wings that would be watching the trial. Paul, all alone. And what does it say he does? He fully proclaims the gospel when he's on trial for his life in front of thousands of people so all of the Gentiles hear the good news of Jesus. He uses that court proceeding as a way to evangelize the world. Not trying to save his skin, but trying to reach more people with Jesus, taking every opportunity, not even trying to save himself. And I like what he says here. And I was rescued from the lion's mouth. That's a figure of speech. You find it twice used in the Old Testament. It means when you're facing certain death, God rescues you. Paul felt he was facing certain death because he wasn't defending himself. He was preaching the gospel while on trial for his life. And yet, God rescued him. Not forever. Rescued him to make it to the second trial, which would then ultimately be the time when he would be condemned. That's where we're at right here in 2 Timothy, between his first and second trial. Two other quick things here at the end. 
we see had faithful old friends, greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Nisiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth. I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Who are these people? These are people who were on Paul's team before when he was in Ephesus, where he's writing this letter to Timothy. And then he talks about faithful new friends. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. And who are these people? New Christians he's met in Rome, because they're all Roman names. I told you there is two points of application I want to get out of this, and I put them right on the end of your outline here. Number one, God gave each of the people on Paul's team different gifts and different roles to play. Everyone needed to faithfully play their position and use their gifts for the gospel to make progress. In the same way, God gave each of us at Crosswinds different gifts and different roles to play. And the only way the gospel will go forward is if each of us plays our part. Some of us are like Tychicus, just ordinary people who are going to make sure that faith, jobs that need to take place get done. Others of us are like Carpus, willing to open up our house, homes and lives to make sure hospitality takes place. Others are like Luke, faithful friends who are always there, who are very gifted, using your gifts to help the message spread. Others are like Titus, great organizers to put things together and help God's people function well. The second and final application is this. God does not just care about the faithfulness of our relationship to him. He also cares about the faithfulness of our relationship with one another. Folks, that is the only way to finish well. Heavenly Father, thank you for the wonderful book of 2 Timothy. Thank you for this long list of Paul's team here at the end. The reminder that you brought around him a team of different people with different gifts and different skills, all playing their part to help the gospel be spread through Paul's life and around the world. And I also thank you for the lessons in this letter about those who didn't finish well. People like Alexander, who became an enemy of Paul. People like Demetrius, who simply abandoned Paul. May we not be like that. May we not just focus on our faithfulness with you, but may we focus on our faithfulness to one another and playing our given roles well. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.